Hello everyone, welcome to Consumer Culture. I am your host Adam, and this is the show where Jesse talks a lot about pop culture, and I slowly die. Hi Jesse, how are you doing? It's funny, because when I listen to this, uh, to our podcast, you're always the one talking fast, and I just sound so slow and hillbilly, and I hate it. Listen, that's fine, I always talk very fast, and normally I would, but you know, I'm dying. Right. So, this is going to be a bit of a loosey-goosey, more compressed episode this week. I was uh, in the emergency room for a few hours the other night, and it's fine, it's I had an infection, everything's fine now. But that just means that, like, we're, we're very, all fine. We're How very busy, so we can't, like, sit here for four hours talking about wrestling this weekend. So, Jesse, what do you have for oh, us today? No. Um, so, you know, we're kind of figuring out exactly what kind of, like, specific but not overly specific idea. Um, so we decided, mostly for me, because it's something that I definitely can talk to, talk about forever and ever and ever, that's sci-fi films. And it's like, man... How about just, like, this decade? And it's like, that's a lot of movies. So we condensed it further. Um, and so it just picked um, a random number of films that we're just going to run down from 2010 to 2012, which is very interesting, like, Yeah, just level. thinking about that group of um, years, yeah. And also, I don't know what any of these movies are, so this is going to be fun. Yes. Um, I do want to start real quick um, a book note, just, like, you know, where we are. And a quick rundown, but not really, not really a major talk about what sci-fi films uh, were in 2009 at the close of the first of that decade and into this one. And it's a very up and down, very strange thing. Um, the first thing I want to talk about, just because of what they're known for now in infamy, more than being sci-fi films, because we're not going to talk about comic book movies at all that's that's their own thing yes they can yeah. in science fiction and all that yeah but comic it's... books movies are completely their own genre um a blend of you know action science Though, fiction honestly fantasy, nowadays i feel like more than ever in the past since 2010 genre has become muddled because a lot of movies are a, an amalgam of a lot of genres like it's, sure. it gets harder and harder to put things into which i think is a good thing because it means that we're getting more interesting unique things like, right. it gets harder and harder to, like, categorize things into specific genres, because, like, it's a little bit of fantasy, it's a little bit of comic book, it's a little bit of sci-fi. Like, look at every Marvel movie. Those are comic book movies, but they're also sci-fi, but they're also political thrillers sometimes, and action comedies, and this well, and that because, and the other. That's because people always saw comic books as a genre when really they've always just been a medium. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that has a lot to do yeah, with I would that, say, is that okay. there's a foresight people have missed. Yeah, about I would that. say instead of comic book, it, it, replace what I said in that sentence with comic book with superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no. Because like I, comic I book movie, like in, the Tom Hanks movie Road to Perdition is a comic book movie. Like that's... <laughs> yeah, you could... It's funny when you like look up uh, like stuff what based I, off of comics remember, or uh, Eastern, Eastern comics. Yeah, I remember one time... IGN had an article of, like, comic book movies you didn't know were comic book movies, and yeah. it was like, whoa. But, um, and, like, Road to Perdition was, like, number one on that on that list. Let me see. Yeah, go ahead. I want to see if I can dig yeah. that up. Um, but so the first two, and again, you know, would you really call, well, you'd call one of these sci-fi the other one, but Dragon Ball Evolution and X-Men Origins Wolverine came out oh. in 2009? Ah, ah, um, I yeah. saw one of those in theaters. I'm sorry. Uh, um, Wolverine at... Midnight, a midnight show, a packed midnight oh, showing. Yeah. Listen, but here's the thing. How'd that go? Like, but that's the thing. Midnight showings warp your brain. Because you're there <laughs> till 2.30 in the morning. You're tired. Fair. Like, no one's ever left a midnight showing 
at least no like 19 year old like I was has ever left a midnight show and being like, oh, that movie sucked. Like we walked out and we were like, yeah, that five minutes at the beginning where Ryan Riddles was like really playing Deadpool as Deadpool was really good. And then like you wake up the next day with a hangover. Like, what did we do last night? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> It was also this like was a good the, idea. Like we saw the second Transformers movie like two months at later, yeah. and at midnight, and we walked out. We were like, "That was fine," and then woke up the next morning like, "Oh my god, my head." That is also on my list because um, this was kind of the year of the legacy in a, in interesting ways because you know there was those two, and then Star Trek the reboot happened. Oh, god, that um, movie's so good. And I just want to bring this up because it's so important in in anime history but you know doesn't fucking matter here uh astro boy came out this year oh yeah the, the um, nick cage animated astro yeah boy movie? yeah I forgot about and, that and you know it's a very forgetful oh it's totally for kids who gives a shit kind of response yeah. and no one saw it even though astro boy has literally been called the mickey mouse of japanese animation yep. so you know it's whatever terminator salvation Whoa. um that's fine you I've... know, do you know why so many of these, like Terminator Salvation, uh, Transformers 2, X Men Origins, you know uh, why there Star... were so many bad movies that summer? And Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, it was the writer's strike. Oh, that was, was the it? summer that was affected by the writer's strike. Like, oh, man. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, that script was mostly written by Michael Bay. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was what killed those movies because they had to rush scripts through to get them into production before the writer's strike happened. And so that's right. why there were so many bad movies that summer because the writer strike started the previous year, um, like so. Basically, it started like the previous fall, but they needed the scripts done like by the previous summer. But they knew, whereas the scripts would usually still get hammered out by the time production was starting, but they had to get the scripts done like a month before production started because they knew yeah. the strike was coming, but they didn't know exactly when it was going to start. So they had to like rush these scripts through and not polish them or anything just to get production going uh so that i can get them totally out by the next see summer. that i can totally see that with the the last two i'm talking about before the big one um district nine and zombie land uh came out in the later half of the year and i always thought district nine kind of didn't have a strong script like it's not bad yeah, in i don't feel like that's a writer strike thing but, as uh, much as that's just neil blanc neil blanc yeah, yeah it's just neil that Blomkamp. could be yeah uh, that could be very fa fair as well, but um, yeah. So District Nine, then Zombieland, which you know, forgot about just like I forgot that was on Nine. Fun. That's such a good movie. Yeah, the fact that like, it came out then. We were like shortly before we came out on before we came on the air. We were talking about Scott Pilgrim and like the cast in that movie, but the cast in Zombieland, man, that was before anybody gave a damn about Jesse Eisenberg or Emma Stone. Yeah, like they they were huge stars after that movie because Eisenberg was coming up on because 2010 was Social Network for Eisenberg and I think Easy A for Emma Stone was 2010 as well. Like that was both of their breakout year. Yeah, and honestly, the most recognizable person besides Woody Harrelson for me Bill was Murray. the girl who played Little Miss Sunshine. Oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, Bill Abigail Murray. Breslin. But yeah, yeah, Bill Murray was more of a surprise. Yeah, Abigail Breslin. Yeah, and then so. And this is definitely for another podcast because I don't feel like going on oh, too God. big of a tangent. But the last one in December is the granddaddy of them all because 2009 was the year of Avatar. Oh, yeah. Always yeah. forget about Avatar. Right. <laughs> so do I. Well, no, I don't. I always remember yeah, Avatar, but I, I want to say forget. But it is the. I, I think Avatar's oh. totally fine. 
Anything, I, I, I like, do not, but that's not. I don't like. Do I don't that today. I don't know. Like, I, I think it's like it. It's. I don't know. It's fine. Like, it's not hurting anybody. It's. I understand why it was so popular. Like, I think it's actually really interesting, and like, kind of like uplifting that it was so popular because it was this like very nice, pleasant thing with a nice story, and it was just like cultural moment. And cultural moments are cool. We don't have many of those today, and so like I don't know. We should cherish those when we get them. Yeah, another day. I'll worry about that later. I'm making a jerk off um, motion. You can't see it, but I'm making I'm a jerk off motion. Good for you. Um, I'm glad you saw the doctor about that. Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to fight today. Okay, I don't. I don't fight the sick or the elderly. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh dang! Why didn't I put? I'm not dead yet. Yes, why... he is. I'm not <laughs> dead. Why don't I put that? Uh, fucking. Should have put the uh, "Don't Want to Fight" by the Alabama Shakes on my soundboard. <laughs> if only I'd been that prescient. Anyway, Why can't we be friends? So let's get into the stuff you actually brought. All right, so we'll start um, by year, um, 2010. There's really not a lot. I found like maybe four ish. Um, there's like Repo Man, which we've talked about. We have talked about Repo uh, Man. Predators, Predators. God, but the only one really worth talking about near the end of the year, uh, Inception, of course. Yeah, man. Um, so, what about the what about the Book of Eli? I see. I juggled that. I juggled it. I was like, man, should I even bring up Book of Eli? I is think Book just... of Eli is worth mentioning. Like, I think Book of Eli is a totally fine movie. It is. I um, I, I enjoy it. It's a pleasant post-apocalyptic yep. movie. I but... like the guy who wrote it. It's written by a guy named Gary Whitta, who used to be the editor of PC Gamer magazine. Uh, he's on a bunch of like podcasts. I'll listen to. He'll show up and guest sometime. He's a really cool, dude. Uh, he also wrote the first draft of After Earth that got shredded by will smith he has talked about that in the past oh man about like the experience of watch of of writing a will smith movie because you don't write a will smith movie you write a movie and will smith will smith the movie um and he also wrote like the first couple drafts of rogue one and stuff like that he's cool dude uh and i like i like the book of eli a lot i think it's a very good movie but it's not a ton of stuff to say about it i i I enjoy the action scenes and gary oldman is always Yes, a fantastic like, character actor. Was here's a question. No, okay, it wasn't this because I was about to say, um, was this the beginning of Denzel the action star? But it wasn't. That was Man on Fire. Man on Fire in two thousand four was the right, beginning of Denzel right. the action star. But he didn't have many action movies until Book of Eli and then The Equalizer. He's such a good action star. Like I just listened to the uh, rewatchables about Taken uh, and about oh, yeah. how like that book beca- like pulled Liam Neeson into this huge uh, action star because we're kind of on the tenth anniversary of Taken. It was like December two thousand eight. Wow. And, um, yeah, yeah. Damn. And uh, and how it like turned Liam Neeson into this huge thing. And do you know who they originally cast for Liam Neeson's character in that movie? Denzel Washington. No, Jeff Bridges. What? Because they because right. they wrote that movie with the idea of bringing in an older action star or older movie star not known for action. Like that is what they wanted uh, yeah. to put that movie around. But Jeff Bridges was just like physically he couldn't do it. Uh, yeah, I was going to say like I love I love Jeff, but I can already see that that guy probably couldn't. Not yeah. enough cuts in the world would be able to get us over that fence. Exactly, but yeah, like um, uh, but yeah, like it's it's you know. Like that that movie is so interesting, and yeah, like it's a good example of like the 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 transition with like Liam Neeson into that is like Denzel. Except I think Denzel has done a better job picking and choosing his action roles. Liam Neeson just kind of does a lot of paycheck action movies now, 
Uh, yeah. But Denzel was very, you know, and they're all good. I like yeah. Denzel Washington. And we'll talk about more, like, yeah. you know, we'll do a thing on action movies. Somewhere. No, definitely. But Inception, say, let's, let's dive right Denzel. into it. Because Inception... I saw, I saw Inception the night it came out. It was my one-year anniversary with my girlfriend at the time. We went and got... Uh, we went and got Hibachi, and we went nice. and saw Inception. And it's one of the most interesting experiences I've ever had at a movie, because it's the most confused I've ever been watching a movie right up until it wasn't. Because like the first time you watch that movie, like the first forty-five minutes of it make no sense. And then yeah, it, it, it all makes it's so, hard. That's not it's a chore to listen to the but rules. Like, it's about the rules. It's about well, no, what it's they're not trying just to... about the rules. It's like the flashbacks with Maul, like the stuff that he went through with with his wife and all that. Like, there's a lot of oh. like it's very much told out of order, and you don't really know what's going on right up until everything clicks about 45 minutes in, and you do. Which I I'm not criticizing the beginning of that movie for it because I think that's what makes it so good. Yeah, is that you get that click, and then everything makes sense, and then you're on for the ride. And I think yeah. that that's what makes that movie so good. Um, you know, and there's like it's like Tom Hardy before people really knew who he was, even yep. though he'd been around forever because he was in the 2002 Star Trek Nemesis movie. Right. He was not Picard. I always forget about that. God. Yeah, it was so crazy that he'd been around that long. But this is the first time I really saw yeah, him. In this, was his, this was his Bane, like, and he was covered up for that. This was his coming out party. Also, I didn't realize like, they were the same person for a couple of years, him and Bane. Really? Yeah, because dude was covered up. And, yeah, I guess you know, I just followed, like, the Dark Knight was such a... And like, also the accent kind of yeah, thing. For me, it was just like, the Dark Knight was a, such a seminal movie for me. Like, it was a huge... Like, it right. came out at just the right time for me. It was a huge, like, moment in my life. I devoured everything I could find about the Dark Knight Rises. And so, like, I was, I, I saw the moment they announced that Tom Hardy had been cast as Bane, because uh, I just like, like, kept an eye out for that constantly. Uh, it but just I, took can, me, I was like, oh shit, that's Ian. Yeah, I okay. could totally. If you didn't ah. go into the movie knowing that, I could totally see. Um, also, you yeah. know what his first credit was? What he and a billion other people got their start in Band of Brothers. Right. Looked at no, the cast yeah. of Band of Brothers. I, I that have cast is ridiculous. Like 2001, Mike Ma uh, Michael Fassbender. Um, oh shit! Yeah. Okay. Uh, Simon Pegg, Tom Hardy. Like Band of Brothers has a Colin Hanks has a ridiculous cat. Neil McDonough. Like a lot of people who people just didn't know were huge in this movie. Uh, or or just had like bit parts and stuff like that, just out of nowhere. Yeah. It's that, that movie is a fascinating thing to go back to. But yeah, like Tom um, Hardy, like he had done before that, he had done like a bunch of like British stuff. Like he did like Layer Cake and and stuff like that. He was in I think he was in Sucker Punch. I didn't know that. Um, I, I can't remember, but I, I believe it. And then he did Rock and Roller and Bronson in two thousand eight, which are two pretty big films. So they're pretty big British I love, films. I loved Rock and Roller. Rock and Roller. So that that was we just passed the tenth anniversary of that movie. Nice. Uh, that movie came out uh, in the United or in it hit uh, the Toronto International Film Festival and the United Kingdom on September fifth, two thousand eight, and it hit America October thirty first, two thousand eight. That was like the movie that made people remember. Oh, Guy Ritchie can still make good movies. Yes, because this was after the sequel, swept away like his awful uh, Madonna movie, and then Revolver, right. which is like him trying to make that British crime movie again, but not quite getting it. 
I actually like rock and roll the most out of his. I I think something so too. about that. It's such a like it it like it's got such a it's good a style. goofy clusterfuck. Yes, and it but it's yeah right. I like that. Uh, it's it's like, every in a weird way. I remember watching it and thinking, man, this is what I wanted Smoking Aces to be. Right. I I like. The, but my favorite thing about Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels is that like they're trying to get these like antique shotguns to do a yes. robbery because no one in England has guns. Without, because mm-hmm. but they're all too dumb to realize that the guns are worth more than anything they're gonna rob, and so they should just sell the fucking guns. But no, they want to use them for a robbery. Like that is such yeah. a good crime plot. It's such a good crime plot. Oh, Guy Ritchie yeah, this, gets it. We man. will. We will talk about. We can talk about Guy Ritchie. Oh God, Guy Ritchie's so good. But yeah, like Inception is is fascinating. God, what a good movie. Um, you know what I hate the most what? is I accidentally just had the MTV awards on before I saw it. Cause I guess I didn't see it in theaters. Um, and they were like the most shocking. Oh shit moment. And one mm-hmm. of them was the train hitting Cobb in the car all of a sudden. So yeah. that was ruined for me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get that like jolt, but it's a <laughs> very interesting scene. Um, yeah. not really sure for all what to talk about because like we talked about the spinning top already in our previous um yeah. big movie episode. Like, yeah the um, uh, the the ambiguous ending but yeah i just think it's like it is it's a hard movie to talk about cuz there had never really been anything like it and there hasn't really been anything like it since yeah. uh just the way um, that the story is told is crafted so meticulously the special effects in it are incredible like it's a movie you can watch over it's one of like it is a very rewatchable movie like, very sit- much you can sit down and watch that movie right now and still enjoy it like it was the first time you watched it. I very much respect uh, Christopher Nolan's filmmaking, but he is an annoying, egotistical twat. <laughs> oh, yeah, he is He is very he up is, his own ass. He is uh, hard to, to listen to in oh, yeah. any I don't, capacity. I, I have no interest in a Christopher Nolan interview, but I have a lot of interest in a Christopher Nolan film. I don't use digital because yeah. I like real film because I make real films. God, yeah, stop, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, because, um, yeah, because you have a studio that'll give you $200 million. Shut up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, mm-hmm. he says something like that and it's like, man, you're an asshole. But, you know, Dave Fincher says, I don't use real blood because real blood doesn't do what I tell it to. And I'm like, that guy's awesome. Yep. So God. it's just, it's there about is... how, what swagger you have, I guess. Um,. <laughs> Because that's, that's also a dick line, but that's right? really good. It's like, oh my god, what what is this dude? There's a guy. Uh, if you if you just search David Fincher on YouTube, there is a video called David Fincher Invisible Details, um, yeah. and it's about how David Fincher uses a huge amount of CG in his movies, but you can't tell because yep. it's very subtle. Because yep. uh, yep. he just uses like CG for backgrounds and this and that and the other. I highly yeah, recommend for that. Snow, for, yeah, like because yeah. it shows, but it also shows how people don't know what they're talking about when they talk about like, oh, this movie has too much CG. It's like no, yes. this movie is just as much CG as any other movie. It's just being used differently. Like you're you're freaking... you're just upset that the cartoon monsters are cartoon monsters instead of rubber monsters yeah okay fine like, like listen, i don't this i'll movie, never understand that like, argument ever yeah like this movie has just as much cg as the social network but you didn't complain about that like i i love the dark crystal but don't tell me that the things in dark crystal look more realistic than like the chitari in um the avengers okay i don't think they look Relax. more realistic but i think they leave more of an impact like i think the chitari that, but that's are the just argument kind of, that's just, the word I they think, use. I think the Chitari. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I think like the Chitari are kind of forgettable because they're very just like 
because and it's part of it is because the dark crystal was jim henson and jim henson meticulously handcrafts all that stuff like i i I feel like the the dark crystal is like the one example you don't want to use because like that stuff is like (laughs) made by the best person to ever do it but i see what you're saying yeah um i I just mean like it's one thing to argue cgi on like you know its merits but it's another thing to use the phrase realistic yeah no it's not because it's because it's not supposed to be you're watching a movie like you're what this is escapism this is entertainment it doesn't matter if it's realistic like you're one of those people that's my real argument yeah that stuff gets like that stuff gets gets a spur on my ass all the time it's just like oh this would never happen like you know what else would never happen any of this aliens Mm -hmm. like (laughs) what the fuck are you talking about like it's always one of my favorite when people talk about how like how like unrealistic stuff is in a movie i always go to this like if if, because you know i I can't think of a specific argument you know people always talk about that stuff oh this would never happen that way and i'm always like you know what you're right that's stupid it would never happen thank you for talking about this because there's always one that gets on my nerves it would never happen like this getting bit by a radioactive spider would not give you spider powers that is so unrealistic why does anybody go see the spider-man movies (laughs) it's it would never happen like yep what uh, what, captain america getting trapped in ice for 50 years and getting resurrected (laughs) he'd be long dead that would never happen that's stupid and unrealistic isn't that right oh wait you like those movies oh that's what i thought shut the fuck up (laughs) like it's it is escapism like honestly that's why when i was in high school i like and super bad came out i did not like super bad because it was just like oh these are just like the people in high school that i go to high school with right now that i don't like (laughs) <laughs> like these are the people that I don't want to hang out with. I don't want to see this movie. But then as I grew up and I watched it again, I was like, Oh, I understand why adults enjoy this movie because it reminds them of those times in like a, a fun way. But when you're in it, like when you're in high school and that movie comes out and like, you're not one of those people, like those specific archetypal like high schoolers. It's just like, yeah. these are just the people that I don't want to fucking deal with today. And, and so very much, you know, the mm-hmm. Seth Rogen perspective, yep. for sure, and, in that idea. And so my friend and I were going to see that, but instead we went and saw Balls of Fury, the Christopher I Walken ping too, pong movie. And that saw movie that in, not good. Saw that movie in theaters. I thought it was going to be hilarious. I was wrong. Like it's not good, but like I don't know. I was eighteen, seeing it with my dumbass friends, so we had like, fun like with it's, it. It's yeah, it's it's like, it's fun and kind of genuine, but it's not done. It's it's not good. Like I would never argue. And now that guy from Balls of Fury. Uh, right. The main guy whose name I can't remember is in. He's like, like the side. Or something. He's like he's in the side. He's the sidekick in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And it's yeah, sequel. yeah, yeah. He's he uh, has made his. He's film, he's so become a star. Like it's him. He was in that, and then Fanboys is the other yeah. movie I remember him yeah. in. And then now he's in Fantastic Beasts, and it's like good for you. I have no interest in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, but you you get you, my friend. Dan, Dan Fog- uh, Fogler. Fo- yeah, that's right. Fogler. Yeah, he's a he's a good actor. Um, I like him a lot. But yeah, like yeah, he was in uh, yeah. But yeah, like I want to say the same thing you just said. Yeah, <laughs> I want no like, uh, Dunkirk was amazing. It was fascinating, yeah. and it was really cool to see Nolan tackle something different. Man, I'm ready for another Nolan sci-fi movie. Like we yeah. need another Nolan sci-fi movie because I really liked Interstellar. I couldn't give, I couldn't tell you one single molecule of what the fuck that movie was about, but I loved it. Uh, yeah, it's always like I respect that. The one thing I'll say about his arrogance and his, like, attitude is he does not give a fuck if his, like, grasp exceeds his means, which is the big argument people try to give, like, why he's not a good movie 
what director maker whatever i know it's it's asinine like calm down because because that's that should be the point of filmmaking yeah is is to extend your grasp you're trying to it should should be you're trying to convey this thing in a medium that uses all these these sensory concepts to to just you know expand as far as it can um I, not, I don't love Inter- Interstellar as much as a lot of people do. Like people really love it. I'm kind of surprised by that, but it's still good. It's still, um, it's still not his worst movie. This is gonna sound very pretentious, but I don't mean it to. Huh? Interstellar to me is more of like, like Interstellar is like an event. Like it's hard to describe Interstellar because like Interstellar is not a movie you watch. It's like a movie that happens to you. You know, like the best way to consume Interstellar is just to sit down and just like just take it in. Like you can try and analyze it and stuff like that, but you're just going to end up with your head exploding like that movie Scanners. So just like let it wash over you. Now, part of that might be because I saw that movie in IMAX, which is just the experience of watching that movie in IMAX is that. Uh, But I feel like that's the right way to watch that movie is like, don't go into it intellectually, just like go into it with an open mind and just like let that movie wash over you. And it is incredible that way. Like that's the way to watch that movie. Yeah, it's it's about immersion. A lot of people, you know, who compare it to and the big argument for like 2001 Space Odyssey, you know, they compare those two together uh, from a generational scale. Those two movies are definitely like share some DNA. Uh, but yeah. I think Interstellar is a bit more cohesive, and like yeah. Yeah. Interstellar definitely makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna do that because like uh, 2001 is a great movie, but is gibberish. Like 2001 is a great. No, no, 2001 is a great <laughs> movie, but like 40 percent of it is complete gibberish. It doesn't make any sense. It is, which is fine because it it's mm-hmm. which is fine because it's Kubrick, which means it's the best like crafted gibberish that anyone's ever seen. So yeah, like, that's fine. Um, I just I I have yet to meet a person who like absolutely loves 2001: Space Odyssey who doesn't tell me the same thing like almost yeah. verbatim from what I've heard from another person, which makes me really wonder like is, is this your opinion how you truly feel or is it just like some kind of subliminal crafted like hive mind or just like oh that that's why this movie is great and you can't deviate from that like I'm genuinely. Or not of- met anybody who doesn't say the same thing about like it's man versus nature and trying to control his destiny and it's super immersive, super I mean, immersive and vi- and stuff like that are the phrases that's constantly like, used and it just I don't think that's a high mind. I, I just think the same that, thing. Like it's not a high mind. That's just what that movie is. I guess like that's I, what the movie. Is. I watched like, it. What do you want him to say? Like yeah, the part with the cartoon rabbit was really cool. Like that's like you want him to start talking about stuff that isn't in the movie. Like that's what the no, movie is. No, no. Uh, We'll see. Well, I, I finally making... watched it after three failed attempts because I fell asleep the first two times. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I can see that. but I watched it, and you know what I got out of it more than anything else? What is a satire? I mean, yeah, it's it's Kubrick. Kubrick does a lot of satire. I think I think every Kubrick film. Well, I can't say that just yet because I no, watched them all. Not but not think, every Kubrick film. I think for the I don't know. I think for the most part, um, they they there's a satirical bone structure first. That that he's I think making fun of the way early stuff like Eyes Wide Shut is not a satirical film, probably not. Um, he also didn't get to like, it, yeah, he did finish it. My bad. He did. I, I couldn't remember if no. it was completely finalized before he AI, died or not. AI is the one. I know AI that is was also going to be him. Yeah. Uh, but that's then not a Spielberg. cute film, as far as I'm it was, concerned. 
Uh, no, that is a Kubrick film. That's the thing. That's not a Spielberg film. That's a Kubrick film. Like Spielberg just directed like at all. Spielberg directed the movie that Kubrick wanted to make. Like that that doesn't feel like a Spielberg movie. Like yeah. that is the least did, Spielberg. No. Oh like, man, there's the a different Spielberg argument movie we're, he has ever made. We are devolving. Like, I think it's very much a Spielberg movie. Like what because um, it has a kid in it? Like yeah, it has a kid of. in it, but um, like everything else is different. That is the most like that is the biggest departure he's ever had visual up until he's like up until like now when he's just doing jerk off paycheck movies like The BFG and Ready Player 1. Like like back when Spielberg movies meant something like that was in 2001 very much Spielberg movies meant something this is him coming off of Private Ryan and stuff like that and yeah. like that is visually and story wise a huge departure from anything he had ever done because it was Kubrick's movie and he said I directed Stanley's movie like he made the movie Kubrick wanted him to make like mm -hmm. AI is a Stanley Kubrick film it's just feels like Spielberg because the main character is a kid um we we are falling off the rails. That's Which fine. is fine. Um, We've no, talked about this. No, I know. I'm joking. That. That's a good thing. Um, uh, let's yeah, let's like, really fall off the rails because I have two movies um, right. that we're going to talk about together. Um, Inception's great. It's really difficult to talk about, and that's why it's great. All right, anyways. Okay, um, next is the, the wonderful Jason Friedberg movie, Vampire Suck. It's a parody of Twilight. came out in August 2010. Uh, stop it. <laughs> you said you didn't want to do that. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, one movie came out in 2012. One movie came out in 2011. But I'm putting them together because when I saw the trailer for the 2012 one, I'm like, wait a minute. Did just, like, the rich American white guys just go, man, let's rip off this small, super crazy indie um, British movie. No one's going to notice. Oh, and oh, so wait, that's okay. Attack oh. the Block and The Watch. Okay, when you said uh, 2012 and 2011 in American People, I was like, are we about to do Dread and uh, fucking, oh God. Uh, the, uh, and, the Raid? And, and The Raid, yeah. No, 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 no. Attack the Block and The Watch. Have you seen The Watch? I forgot The Watch existed. Okay, so quick rundown because that's the one we'll talk the least that's, about. Because that's the one. That's 2012. It's, it's, ben Stiller, it's Ben Stiller, Jonah, Jonah Hill, Hill um, Richard Iode. Yeah, and uh, Seth Rogen. Yeah. And they're just a neighborhood watch guys, whatever. And then and it turns into an alien up. invasion thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's okay. It's not super great. It's, like, less funnier than This is the End. Um, I like and, This is the End. No, I like This is the End, too. But I feel like, as far as, like, streamlined dickhead fuck-around comedy goes, yeah. the watch, like, is cut in half of its ability like when you put those together one is one is like this works and then you look at the watch and it's like this mm, maybe a little bit but attack the block is where um jason boyega really got his start it's yep. got uh, yep. nick frost randomly in there for yep. a minute because it's ron and it's also his weed room also uh i'm looking at the watches wikipedia page now the watch was originally called neighborhood watch and the trailer or the poster was originally like a neighborhood watch sign with like a kind of like a Ghostbusters thing over like a picture of an alien with, an with, alien? Yeah, with yeah. bullet holes in it, and they yeah. changed it because this was around the time of Trayvon Martin. Oh wow! So they had to completely they changed the name of the movie and they completely changed the advertising campaign to lean more heavily on the aliens. I totally wow didn't I totally yeah. miss that because the whole Trayvon Martin thing was a fuckwit quote unquote neighborhood watch guy, and so they right. had to completely like they had to completely changed the name of the movie and all of their marketing which good like i'm glad they did that was yeah. the right thing to do go 20th century fox 
Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sure it has more to do with. Um. Oh wow, it's. I'm. I'm dumb. It's. It was written by Seth Rogen, but yeah, the fourth Seth guy. Goldberg. The fo- Yeah, the fourth guy is Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. I totally. Who's you? Oh, did you say that was Seth Rogen? Yeah. Oh, I don't know because I side eyed it. I side eyed it like that fat head in the background. When, that's when you that's said Seth that, Rogen. In my mind, I heard Jonah Hill, and so I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like. No, that's... yeah, yeah. Like I totally thought of Seth Rogen until I realized, oh no, it was written by because I knew Seth Rogen was involved. Yeah. Um, but and I, um, I don't know the director Akiva Schrafer. I don't know if he's he's one of the guys. He's part the of the Lonely Island. Lonely Island. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He. Uh, so there he you go. So it's that direct. group. He helped So they direct. probably all. They no, all. They. He was the what? only person that worked on the watch from the Lonely Island. Yeah. No. 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 I meant like everyone involved in the watch were probably about the Trayvon Martin thing. Oh, yeah, it, it was probably, was probably more their decision probably, more well, than. I mean, it was. I'm sure the studio were like one of the like big ones to step in because you know that's a, that's a can of worms and that's not anything they want to deal with. But right. I'm also sure that everyone who worked in the movie was very supportive of that decision. Yes, yes. Um, yes. Also, um, one of these days we're going to talk. Looking at Akiva Shaver's page, we're going to talk about underappreciated comedies, and we are going to talk about MacGruber and Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping because that those two movies are incredible and do not get talked about enough. Pop Star. Well, have you ever seen Pop Star? I it has been on my God. I really need to watch this list, you fucking like, idiot. I, I bought it. I bought it a couple years ago, like on Black Friday. It was like six dollars at Target, so yeah. I bought the Blu-ray and I got the digital copy and then like last fall I was just like had nothing to do and so I just turned it on and it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yes. It is so um, good. They have a song where he's talking to this girl about like it's like a sex song and he was just like, I'm gonna fuck you like the US military fucked bin Laden. <laughs> I know like that. it's so good oh my god pop okay. star. So i just want to do a whole episode where I just, we just play the songs from pop star and laugh for three straight hours because that's all you that. need for pop star god that movie's so good but attack let's talk the about block. how much we love attack the block attack the block is also so good also i forgot that uh um uh the new doctor who was in attack the block oh, Jodie that, Whittaker. yeah okay i was fixing to ask who she was i'm like oh she's yep. the new doctor that's dope yep um yeah this is where john boyega came from like when when they announced john boyega was in the new uh star wars movie i immediately got really excited because i loved attack the block yeah i remember you told me it's like you know who john boyega is i'm like no and he was like you seen attack the block i'm like yes i'm like that's moses i'm like that's moses oh shit yep. he's no, it's, so good it's so good and he looks completely different like he looks like a hardened Oh yeah, giddy kid in Attack the Block. It's kind of amazing. Like I thought he was gonna like evolve into Omar Epps, <laughs> but but that is not the direction he went. <laughs> no, he's 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 more headed towards Idris Elba, which is why he played Idris Elba's yeah. son in Pacific Rim Uprising. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, I remember seeing Attack the Block. It was probably one of the first like big indie British films I had seen of that nature. Um, yeah, for me, not it even was like, like from the sci-fi thing, but just, but it, but I, and I remember before Nick Frost showed up, I was like, man, this is like some Edgar Wright shit. This is great. And then Nick Frost showed yeah. up, I'm like, god damn it, so uh, good. But yeah, like for me, it was. Uh, I came to it a little late, but it was because like it was already out on like home video and stuff like that, and it was just yeah. everyone talking about how good this movie is and how everybody needs to see this movie. Yeah, I think uh, I saw it on home video too. Yeah, because like, right, it didn't get a super wide release uh, right. in I America. I did see it before the watch though, and I just couldn't believe 
how similar it was, and I was like, like, man, they had to have seen Attack the Block, and they were just like, we want to make... I don't think they did. Like, the movies are kind of similar, but not that similar. Like... Especially because, like, attack, like it is the movies share DNA in that it's an ensemble comedy where aliens attack a metropolitan area. Right. That's about the only DNA they share. Which, like, that's not like that's Ghostbusters. If you want to do, if you want to say something, they both share DNA with Ghostbusters. That that's fair. Especially like, um, the watches. Main thing was they wanted to do something like Ghostbusters. That was their yeah. attempt. And like, um, yeah, like, I'd say they 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 owe they both owe more to Ghostbusters than anything, which is not a knock on either of them. Like they are very similar, right. but I don't think the the watch directly aped Attack the Block, uh, especially because right. Attack the Block took a while to get traction in America, because uh, yeah. like it just didn't get much because like it was such a seriously British movie. Oh uh, yeah, like, like American distributors didn't want it. Like American distributors didn't want it because the accents were so thick, the slang was so t- thick. They thought that they would literally have to put subtitles on it because people would not understand the movie. <laughs> so so dumb, but yeah. Um, I do like how genuine the kids feel for sure. Absolutely, like, they're um, written incredibly. Yeah, and oh well, you know, I didn't know this, but this makes totally sense. The production company for Attack the Block is actually the ones that produced. Um, Shaun the Dead, Hot Fuzz, yeah. and uh, Scott Yeah, because it was directed and written by Joe Cornish, who was a longtime collaborator with Edgar Wright. Like, they're like best friends. Okay, yeah. Like, so, Joe yeah, Cornish... It just had that perfect feel. Joe Cornish originally wrote... That. Joe Cornish originally wrote the Ant-Man script that Edgar Wright was meant to direct, but ended up going to uh, Peyton Reed. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I remember all that. Because, uh, yeah, they, they've worked together a ton. Um, like, uh, Joe Cornish was in Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> He had a cameo. <laughs> so yeah, like, um, and that's why that's where I got like that's what piqued my interest with Attack of the Block is because I saw like Edgar Wright's name attached to it. Like he 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 wasn't directly like he didn't like have his hand in production really, but no. people were like, "Hey, this is Edgar Wright's buddy, and Edgar Wright loves this movie," and yeah. that's what like made me perk up. It was released on Guy Fox Day, which is great. Um, of course, is, it was. Yeah. Wait, okay. no, it wasn't. Uh, that's what I'm looking at. It was released uh, on May 11th, 2011 in the okay, United Kingdom. Okay, so this is... Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. The the show, the, the premise is on Guy Fawkes Day. Guy Fawkes oh, Night. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, the entire time takes place. Gosh, it takes place. Typically on, on November on 5th. Okay. Okay. I, I saw release, and then I saw Guy Fawkes Night next to each other, but they're two separate uh, sentences because I gotcha. can't see periods. <laughs> um... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, if you've not seen Tack the Block, it's the it's most, so good. I think, the most underrated sci-fi film of the decade, probably. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible. Like, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. And just, like, like this is, man, this was the future of sci-fi, right? Like, this is the future of films right here. Like, John Boyega oh, is right? the star, right? Like, he is the new guy. Like, that's a great jump. Like This so is cool. where he started. Like, this movie is so good. If you like sci-fi, if you like comedy, like, just watch it. Just, like, there, it, it doesn't matter what genre you like, you'll find something to enjoy in Attack the Block. Like, yeah. Just, as long so, as you get past the, uh, the fucking accents, like, heavy accents and Which I love. Slang. I love accents. That's I think it's fun. great, too. But it um, does hit a point where, like, some of the slang, it's, like, um... Because what so we were talking about... Like, no, talking about, like, um... Uh, talking about uh, uh, Guy Ritchie, 
I remember when yeah. Lock, Talk, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels came over, the original DVD for it had a booklet in it with, like, fucking translations. Because, <laughs> like, they were using such intense... Like, they are using uh, slang that you could... Because, like, a lot of British slang uh, is, like, takes, like, five leaps to get to what it means. Like, the best example of this that I can think of is from Ocean's Eleven. Uh, when oh, yeah. Don Cheadle's character says we're in Barney and they look at yeah. him, he's like, Barney Rubble, trouble. Like, that's not something they made up for the movie. That is how that, like, super no, intense British slang comes from, which is yeah, yeah. they take a word that rhymes with the word that they mean and then they use a word associated with that rhyme. And it's just it's like, hilarious. if you grew up in it, it makes total sense. But if not, it is complete gibberish. Yeah. But I think that's great. Like, that stuff is awesome. Yes. All right. So going from... um a Edgar Wright-esque style sci-fi comedy and a Seth Rogen sci-fi comedy. We literally go smack dab in the middle with Paul. Paul? Yeah! Yes, fucking Paul. Like, literally in the middle. Because fucking Nick Frost and Simon Pegg just basically do an American uh, Cornero trilogy spinoff. Yep. In in a way. And Paul's, Paul's great and so much fun. And one of my favorite lines is when he, when they're at the line where it goes from like 11 a.m. to noon, and mm-hmm. he's just jumping the line back and forth. Like, guys, if you think about it, it's basically time travel. And I was like, that's the best smart-ass response to that kind I, of idea. That, what a good movie. I, I yeah, remember it's... I saw that movie in theaters. That I saw within a couple days of each other, um, mm-hmm. I saw Paul and Rango. Ah, oh, Rango's so good. Both great movies. Both very, like, movies for people who like movies. Because they both yes. came out on the exact same day. They both came out on February 14th, 2011. Uh, and, like, there were a ton of small references in Paul that people, that I was the only person in the theater laughing. Like, yeah. when they went into the fireworks store and the chime that played in the door when they walked through was the five notes from Close Encounters from the Third Kind. Yeah, like little stuff like that that just made me lose my mind. That no one that just bounced off of everyone else. Yeah, that's what like, it was. It was just full of that shit, and it was so great. Yeah, like the fucking uh, the fact that Jason Bateman's character is named on a reference to the movie Lorenzo's Oil, which is about like a fucking. Uh, which is like a, a Nick Nolte, Susan Sarandon, dramatic, like, Oscar heart tug movie about a cure for their son's cancer or something. Like, it's so <laughs> weird. Such a weird reference. Like, it, there's no reason for that to be a thing, but it's, it is it is, and it's amazing. Yeah. God. Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader. Like, Bill Hader and Paul, when Bill Hader was in the middle of having a bit part in every single comedy release. Yes. Absolutely, like, like, that, like that was, was a, and then that's where I found Joe Trulio, who is currently amazing in Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, like, and and that's where like he got his start on the state, like with uh stuff like um Wet Hot American Summer and all that. But like I discovered him in Paul, and then when uh and then when Brooklyn Nine Nine started up, I was just like, oh shit, it's that guy from Paul. And yeah, yeah, like they it, had a lot of people. Like, like you said, this is kind of before people really know who knew who Christian Wig was. Apart, yeah, like from, this was when she um, was like still like in her prime on Saturday Night Live. Right, this right. is a year before she a would leave Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live. Live. People, uh, Jane Lynch is in here. Lynch, I think um, right, right when Glee was starting to blow up. Yeah, uh, Sigourney Weaver. Well, like, of course she had to be there. Awesome. And then they sci-fi. go to the Raiders of the Lost Ark 
uh, uh, warehouse and mm. use a phone and call Steven Spielberg. And Steven Spielberg recorded the VO for that. That is Steven Spielberg's real voice. Yeah, I, I know. I thought that was really oh fucking great. Oh, my God. He was like, thanks, Paul. You've always good, been the best. It's <laughs> such a good movie. Yeah. Like, 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 basically, Paul wrote Raiders. Wasn't that what it is? Yes. Or something like that? He had something like, like that. Like, Paul wrote yeah. some sci-fi movie. Yeah, um, or just huge. I think he wrote E.T. Uh, I think yeah. he might have wrote E.T. Uh, but yeah, like Paul is, Paul is everything Ready Player One isn't, because Paul <laughs> is down, down for that. Paul is reverential, and it shows its love for the things that came before it on its sleeve. But it does it in a subtle, original way, and not just "Hey, look, it's that thing from that thing. It's that thing from that other thing. It's that thing from that thing. You remember that? Here's that thing. Look at that thing. Look at that thing. Look at yeah. that thing. Look at that thing." Like it's like, no, we're gonna put these references in here, but they're gonna be subtle and interesting, and not just like nostalgia bukkake right and that's what makes that movie and it's the same way for like rango like i remember when we saw rango me and josh went and saw rango and it was like literally the day after we saw paul and at the beginning of that movie because it was a kid's like a kid's movie marked as a kid's movie so we we're in a, like yeah. it was like a saturday afternoon so we were in a theater filled with like families and there's the part where rango like gets thrown up on the windshield and there's the guys from fear and loathing in las vegas in the car yes and we lost our minds and everyone else in the theater was dead silent yep um, Rango is one of the best westerns of this decade. Absolutely, God, it's such and, a good um, western. Fucking oh. Timothy Oliphant playing yep. the spirit of the West, which is just goddamn. Um, just, just doing a Clint Eastwood impression. Clint Eastwood and this was so right great. in the. This was like right at the beginning of my love for Justified, which was the beginning of my love for Timothy Oliphant. Yes, so yes, after that like movie, right I looked that like, up, and I was like, oh my god, it was Timothy Oliphant. Of course it was. Like, oh my god, I love Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant is the best American cowboy. Yeah. One more Oliphant Cowboy uh, movie. One of my favorite things about Rango that actually, one of the reasons why it felt so natural, uh, they recorded all the VO for that, like, together. Because normally oh, you cool. record VO for animated movies, just like everybody comes in separately, records their stuff in a booth. But they recorded the VO for that movie in one big booth, and everybody recorded it like they were performing it together, which made it feel so much more natural. Nice. Uh, and, like, that's what made it work so much better. Also, Ned Beatty was in that movie playing Tortoise John, the evil uh, tortoise, um, which he would do a year before playing the exact same character in Toy Story 3. Oh, the bear? Lotso Hug and Bear is the, pretty much the same character, yeah, also played by Ned Beatty. Pretty amazing. That's, That's one of my favorite what he things. Does. He's yeah. evil and cuddly. Um, so we'll go, we'll go listen. <laughs> we'll go from one of the best westerns of of the decade to uh, oh, we going to Cowboys, Cowboys and Aliens. Aliens? Oh god. <laughs> yes. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I love Cowboys I, and Aliens because I it's think, it's ridiculous. I think, I think Cowboys and Aliens is a great western and a terrible sci-fi movie. Yeah. Like it, it's it's you know, it's casting? up and down for that. Daniel Craig. Oh, the is casting's a great. Fucking Daniel Craig. He's such a good cowboy. Why is he yeah. a cowboy more often? He was so good in that movie. Because he's British, I don't know. He was so good in that movie. He was such a great cowboy, but the moment the sci-fi stuff got too intense, it fell apart. That movie fell apart in the second half when they leaned in hard of the aliens. No, just make this an just make this a western. It was a great western until it wasn't. I I I like that it was uh, sci-fi with the aliens and stuff. It's just that they didn't have a great end game for it. Yeah. Um. There, there wasn't a great way to, like, solve... Okay, how the fuck are these guys going to beat these aliens? Yep. There wasn't a good thing for that. Yep. Um, but but I still enjoyed it overall a lot. Um, yeah, like, I think it's a totally watchable movie. Absolutely. Yeah, um, oh, God. I lost his name. 
Uh, Sam Rockwell, Paul Dano. Oh, the big one. Daniel Craig. Harrison, oh, Harrison the Ford. Big one. Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. That one. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I love Harrison Ford's an interesting actor to me because I feel like he always seems like he's dialed in, but he's also does very well at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. I think it's just because he like. It's like, well, I've got a hat on, so I'll just channel mild um, Indiana Jones, and it'll do fine. Yeah, like um, Harrison Jones for the past. He was a like, good asshole dad in this. Harrison Jones. But Harrison he also, Ford. Like, like for Harrison Ford for the past like twenty years has done a really good job playing Harrison Ford. Yes. Yeah, because he, because uh, he definitely um, near the end, like <laughs> when he was trying to make the the Indian kid feel like you know you're also my son. It's like, man, I don't feel this at all. Yeah. <laughs> Like, what's the last great movie he did? When he got killed in Force Awakens? Like, well, like what's the <laughs> last great performance he gave? He was really good in Force Awakens, but he was still playing cranky old Harrison Ford. Yeah. What was it, like, Air Force One in 1997? Get off my plane. Yeah, maybe. Like, Was that after you know? Fugitive? Oh, yeah, Fugitive was, like, 1990? Fugitive was 1993. Okay, okay. Also, yeah. Harrison Ford was not the best part of The Fugitive. Tommy Lee Jones is the best part of The Fugitive. It's no, crazy fair, to but... think. The Fugitive made... Tommy Lee Jones was nothing before The Fugitive. Like, he was a bit actor who had occasional, like, little parts. And then The Fugitive came out, he won an Oscar, and he was the biggest star in the world. And, oh. and deserved, because he's incredible with that movie. Did you know that movie is the most successful, critically, uh, movie based off of a TV show? Oh, wow. Because it's based That's off cool. an old TV show. Like, the, the finale right. of The Fugitive was, like... Everybody talks about the Nash finale being this huge event. The finale of The Fugitive TV show was also just as big. It was huge. Because The Fugitive TV show was a huge hit. But that show has been so yeah. overshadowed by the movie. Because the movie is so good, and Tommy Lee Jones is amazing in it. God, I just yeah, want to pull I up... Even, I just want to grab Tommy Lee Jones' Fugitive montage. Of, I didn't know a lot about... <laughs> I just want to grab like that monologue from him and put it on the soundboard. We are gonna. We need uh, to do a hard target search. Search every outhouse, doghouse, henhouse. It's so good. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, because they, because then the Cohen brothers were like, "All right, so we're doing No Country for Old Men. Do what you did in the Fugitive, but dial it back and dial then it way up again. back. <laughs> like, do what you did in the Fugitive and just dial it back. Oh God. So, so we're uh, coming up on the tenth anniversary of Burn After Reading. Uh, oh shit! Speaking of the Coen Brothers, and one of my favorite things the Coen Brothers do, and they did it in Burn After Reading, and The Big Lebowski, and um, Fargo to an extent, and No Country for Old Men. Hail they Caesar. like to, they like to end movies without showing you the actual resolution, but just yeah. having a tangential character explaining what's happened, what ended up happening to all the characters. Like, like the a, end of No Country for but Old not, Men. But not even really, just casually offhand. Yeah, just like, casually, just yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, I'd like to think great. there's I love maybe a shit. little dude out there somewhere. Like, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But like, it works so great. Like, it's not a criticism. Yes. I think it works awesome, and nobody but the Coen brothers could pull it off. Everybody right. go watch Burn After Reading. That movie's incredible, and everyone it's in it is awesome. a lot better than people It's know. so good. Did you know that's the only Coen brothers movie that ever opened at number one? That's weird, because I feel like that's the one people least know. I I don't know. You forget about the lady killers. I we'll talk about that another. Day. Um, <laughs> uh, like that's so, the one people least know. Yeah, so Cowboys and Aliens ho- holds up for a minute, and it's I think it's a very it was a very interesting. Um, it's fascinating like, experiment, um, especially John Favreau doing it. Like I love John Favreau's di- John, uh, direct. Huh? John Favreau after he got bounced out of Marvel from directing yeah. the Avengers. 
Yeah, sucks. But I I like his his um filmography as a director. It's very interesting. Yeah, um, it's all over the place, man. Fucking yeah. Elf uh, into Zathura will... into Iron Man into Chef into the Jungle Book. Yeah, and um, I will always love him as the crazy uh SWAT asshole from the Replacements. Oh God, I always forget about that. Yeah, I that's my favorite football movie of all time. Replacements and... is a very good football movie. It's it is absolutely my favorite. We'll we'll Man, do sports. I'm, yeah, now I'm point. curious about like what's the best football movie of all time? Because any given Sunday's up there, but the prices is really good. We'll do we'll do that. Um, the original Longest we'll, Yard. I feel like we would enjoy the remake of the Longest Yard just because it's I filled with wrestlers. Love yes. No, I have it on DVD for whatever like, reason. Just because it's filled, I really cause, wrestling, just because you can watch Kevin Nash not looking like he looks nothing like Kevin Nash. But like and it's my nipples, man. Being They're given so like, estrogen and yeah, like yes, Stone Cold, the Great Kali for no reason, Goldberg. There are a lot of re- speaking of, speaking of movies with a lot of wrestlers in it that we've already talked about this episode. McGruber just like, <laughs> yes. for no reason, a whole montage with like Mark Henry and Big Show and all of them, and they all and, die. Uh, Chris Jericho, yeah, and Jericho and all that. God, oh. okay, what um, a good movie. So completely not, different not tonal shard. shift. The Longest Yard isn't a good movie, but it's watchable. McGruber's I like- a good movie. I like that it's dumb. Oh, oh, yeah, oh no, it's, you know, it's let's totally just watchable. shout out, you know, talk about um that we'll talk about that, you know, Burt Reynolds just died yeah. two days ago. All right. Um so yeah. Crazy. God um, so when I was in the hospital the other night, yeah. I, I turned on I had a TV in the room and I turned it on, turned on ESPN, just to have something on because the NFL kickoff game was about to start. And they had a little thing for Burt Reynolds, because Burt Reynolds is like the first really big athlete turned actor, because he was a star football player. And they had the little thing up for him, and it said, uh, let me see, what year was Burt Reynolds born? It was Burt Reynolds, 1936 to 2017. Mm-hmm. What, year is, what year is this? 2018? Yeah, it said 2017, which means that they made their uh-huh. graphic last year, and they didn't update it before they pushed it live. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, well, um, so Rise of the Planet of the Apes, that's where we're going. Oh, my God. What are, okay, so. The beginning. Talking, so, talking about the weird, awful 2009 that was sci-fi. Yeah. We're coming to the great 2011 that was sci-fi. Yeah, and 2012, man. We'll get to 2012 like, in a second. 2011 well. was uh, X-Men First Class. Yeah. It was Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. And it was, for all of its issues super eight yeah i didn't even totally skipped over super eight super eight was a really good movie it was a really good movie about kids and about a kid dealing with the grief of losing his mom and it's like it's a lot of cowboys versus aliens because it's really good at like the kid stuff and then devolves into like kind of a mediocre monster movie or like kind of a mediocre like godzilla ish you know et ish type movie like, right, and Super they fixed it is, years later with Stranger Things. Yeah, like <laughs> Super 8 is fascinating because there's something there. And again, like Paul, it's very Spielberg-y. It, it, it wears its Spielberg on its sleeve. Like 2011 was the yeah. year that everybody who grew up watching Spielberg started making, like, like got the mo- money, like had enough clout to make the movies they really wanted to make. Yeah, uh, I feel like Cowboys and Aliens kind of had a small spirit of Spielberg in, I can in see a that. way. It yeah. took the, it took like the two things Spielberg never put together and put them together, right. and that's why he never did. Uh, I mean, Spielberg's never made a western, has he? 
No, but but I feel like you know there's only so many leaps you can take from like what makes a western and what makes like a, a good uh, true war like film. like Indiana Jones has a lot of western elements to it. That too, um, but I think but, like uh, war films and westerns, depending on which way you lean, they have a lot of true. like storytelling elements Although, together. I feel like the war films that Spielberg does are are more like. Saving Private Ryan doesn't have any Western DNA in it because it's so intense. Oh, like, it's I, so, like, realistic and yeah, I was about to argue that it totally could be because, like, like, I think of, like, it could share some stuff with, like, 310 to Yuma in a way. I, I could see um, that, yeah. Like, the idea of, like, the, yeah, the, kind of, like, the core, like the core or, DNA. You know, like, it, like, the searchers, even. The core, the core base, it, base of the plot of there is a small yeah. group of men going through enemy territory to try and find someone like yeah. the plot has DNA, but nothing about the, I don't think the uh, execution execution, the execution right. no, is no, not Westerny, but yes, Absolutely like that, that core plot but, but is, like, yeah, I could see what you're saying there. It's very Western. Yeah. Like yeah. we got to go strip here and down get this everyone guy. from their clothes. Yeah. Like if you like had two improv stages and you just reenacted a Western reenacted, say, Private Ryan with like yeah. nothing up there but just the people. I think you could. I could see that. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, Super Eight is like, God, it's such a good movie about kids. Like it understands kids. It tells a kid's story really well, and then it just becomes this kind of subpar, disappointing monster movie. And it bums me out whenever I think about it because it was so good for like the first seventy-five percent, and then kind of falls off a cliff. You know what's good for all of its percents? Rise against the Planet of the Apes. Rise, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Rise of the Planet of the Apes is so Rise good. Of. Rise of the of the. Because there's two of these. Um. <laughs> yeah, Rise of the Planet uh, of the Apes is so good. I think that the Planet of the Apes trilogy is my perfect trilogy. I love him. I love all three of these not, movies. Yeah, there isn't, there isn't one of those that's not a banger. Um, They're all great. Yeah, uh, Rise just had a perfect... like. Like to me, um, let's look at how Rise sets up its non-human CGI um, story told protagonists and everything, and then the human element that is done by um, a relatively underappreciated actor because he was in um, who's the sidekick Rudy in um, tr- uh, National Treasure. Yeah. And he was Doug in um, yeah, in, in Hangover. The, uh, in the Hangover. He was in that movie? Yeah, yeah. He was in Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Oh, no. I'm thinking of the first are you, one. Are you thinking of James Franco? No. I fucked up. What am I doing? Are you thinking? I don't know. Which character are you thinking of in Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Totally fucked up. I don't know uh, where my brain just went. Um, yeah, James Franco's not that person. Yeah, James he is Franco. not that James, dude. James Franco's James Franco. What is he this? is. Bit what of a shithead, but yeah, he's, he's James Franco. Uh, what did I just do? I don't know. Also, God, here's I'll here's how good Rise. Rise of the Planet of the Apes was. Yes. When we when they finally when they gave us the contractually obligated "get your hands off me, you damn dirty ape" moment, that yes. should have been a groan move moment because it should have felt super trite and dumb. But right. the way they did it with Caesar yelling "no" right afterwards is yes. so like they did it perfectly like that to me completely encapsulates how good that movie is and how flawless the uh execution of that movie is because that moment should have felt really dumb and unnecessary but it was one of the best moments in the movie yeah and we talk about like you know loving the films that influence and stuff there's so many 
references to the original that yeah, work. Like the, like, the, um, like the, his the mom, news report. Uh, the, the news mom report being called. Yeah, like the, yeah, the news. Uh, the, yeah, go ahead. Well, Caesar's mom being referred to as um, was it bright eyes, blue yeah. eyes, something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, like that was perfect. Uh, bright eyes. That's what it was. Like that was brilliant. I thought. I thought that was just like the smartest thing. Yeah, and like there's like um, a new as, story as a in nod, the background. like like to get the idea across of how we see apes and how the apes saw man back then in in the original. Like it was a good uh, switch around. Um, but uh, what were you gonna say? There is a news story in the background of one of the scenes talking about the astronaut leaving, like basically Charlton Heston's character leaving. Like, they talk about, oh, wow, yeah. like, one of the guys, like, the ship and the, the name of the ship, I can't remember what it was, going out on a mission, and, like, it was the the one from the original movie, like, the mission that he left on. I don't know if they did that intentionally, like, set up him coming back in the future. I don't think they did. Uh, I think it was just a, a fun little, uh, uh, right. you know, a fun little reference, but uh, that was, like, at, a nice at, little yeah, connection. Yeah, at least for the moment. I don't think they're doing a fourth one, or they I are, mean, I can't remember. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they did, um... Because, you know, it's, uh, it, those movies are so successful and so good, but, um, and I love what a vehicle uh, this has become for Andy Serkis where people realize he's a good fucking actor. (laughs) I remember Uh, the first clip they ever released of this movie and it was just a shot of Caesar looking like looking from one side of the room to the other. It's like a two second shot. And it was one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen because I'd never seen anything that looked like it. Like, because I knew it was CG, I knew it was Andy Serkis, but it looks so real, and it looks so, like, there were so many little nuances and everything in the animation, it blew me away. And that's all I needed to see, and I was in on this movie. And God, this movie's so good. Yeah, and there's not a lot of, like, dialogue, because yeah. this is before Caesar really talked, and that that's always been great. I mean, just how much emotion he can convey. Like, he has some of the best expressions. Yeah. Um, and and this is a great movie, and it is definitely the um the there's not a better word, but I guess the lesser of the three. Like every film gets better and better. Yeah, I think I like Don the most, but but then again, Andy Serkis's performance in War and just the 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 so the subversion they do because War for the Planet of the Apes is not really like there's more War in Don than there yeah. is in War. It's but it's a it's a prison movie. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's so good. I love these three films together. And the shout out to way. Matt Reeves, man. Yeah. And that Matt guy, Reeves what is, is so what good. is, what is his reward for this? Because he's getting to do something. Batman. Um, oh, that's it. The Batman movie that might may or may not, that was supposed to be directed by, ba- uh, by Ben Stil- by Ben Affleck, but now isn't and might not even have Ben Affleck in it and Matt Reeves yeah. might not be, even be doing it at this point because that movie is going through so many production issues. Yeah, so that's not his reward, is it? <laughs> uh-huh. He'll figure something out. I am definitely he is my guy to watch. Oh yeah, he'll um, be fine. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's it's so good and God, what a good movie. Yeah, like 2011 man. Field, um, that was the the great resurgence of sci-fi. Like not yeah. resurgence, but like there was some there was so much good shit in 2011 and like. Like not. franchises coming back, like franchises. Like to me, 2011 was the year with because with with uh, Days of Future with a uh, X Men First Class, yeah, and Rise of the Planet of the Apes, right? Or Dawn of the, whichever one it was. I can't remember because it because it's 
it always feels like the second one should have been named the first one and the first one should have been named the second one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those two movies for me were two movies that were met with a lot of cynicism and a lot of why are you doing this, which is always a, 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 an attitude that bothers me because I always hate it when people are like, I don't know, art doesn't need to justify itself. Like it can just exist. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. People it were doesn't, mad that it was getting rebooted, but this yeah, is like one of the best to be, reboots yeah, ever. That's the of thing. Like, it, like, okay, you might not be interested in it, but that's fine. It doesn't have to be made for you. Like, it doesn't have to justify its existence to you. But then both those movies end up being fucking incredible. It end up being two of the best movies of the year, and arguably the two best movies in their franchise. And a lot of people shut up, but you never see any of those people come out and say, "Oh man, I was wrong." No. They just quietly step to the side and enjoy those movies that they shit all over leading up to their release. Also, that year is another, I think, very underrated sci-fi movie that's a lot of fun and is one of the best sports movies of the past five years. Real Steel was the last one on my list. Real Steel. That That movie is one of the best sports movies in the, like, si- like yeah, in, since since 2011, that's such a good like. People looked at that movie again with a lot of cynicism. They're like, they're making a rock and soccer robots movie. No, they're making a Rocky movie. Yeah, no, no. I was fixing to say that was the best boxing movie until Creed came out. Yeah, like that was a Rocky movie. Absolutely, like, that's what that movie was. Yes, it was so good. One hundred percent is what that was, and I've loved loved it for that. Yeah, like um, it was a totally fine. Like it was, it wasn't going to change the world. Yeah, but it was a fun sports flick. It worked. Like, it worked perfectly. Like I, yeah, yeah it um, because it wasn't I don't know serious enough. But people like over dramatize how quote unquote serious Rocky was. Rocky was no the first Rocky movie is an incredibly intense, serious character piece. When you're what you're about to say is Rocky Four. <laughs> like that's the thing. When people think about Rocky, they think Rocky Four. But the first Rocky movie, it's like it's actually a really interesting thing you see in like seventies movies, because like the three big movies from that decade, uh, Rambo or First Blood, Rocky, Saturday Night Fever, and you think of Stallone screaming while firing a machine gun, you think of Stallone montaging to fight Drago, and you think of Travolta strutting down the street while the Bee Gees play. But all three of those movies, like the first movies in those franchises, you know, First Blood, Rocky, and Saturday Night Fever. Wait, 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 wait. Um, John Travolta was Saturday Night Fever. Oh, who did I say? Did I say Stallone? You've been Stallone, yeah. The oh, whole sorry, time. John Travolta. Like, John Travolta strutting down the street in Saturday Night Fever. Okay. Those movies are all small, character-driven, very dramatic, very serious indie flicks. Like, those are not the movies you imagine they are, because their like, legacies have been conflated with like the culture around them and the sequels that have come. Those original movies are intense and like not like they're fun in parts and stuff like that, or like Saturday Night Fever and the like, but like those aren't the movies you think they are. And those are fascinating to go back and watch because you have a very specific idea in your head of what you're getting into and it ain't it. It ain't it at all. And that, I think that stuff like that fascinates me because people talk about Rocky and they're like, wow. Creed is this amazing movie. It's wild that they got that from, like, you know, fighting, like, from fucking Polly having a robot and uh, <laughs> Rocky ending the Cold War by fighting Ivan Drago. And, like, no, go watch the first Rocky movie because that is an intense, small budget indie flick. Like, that is a pure character piece through and through. Like, Rocky doesn't become a cartoon until later. That first Rocky <laughs> movie is incredible. And there's a reason why that first Rocky movie, if I'm not mistaken, uh, let me double check. 
that's why that that's why Rocky won Best Picture at the Oscars. Right, right, right. Like everybody right. forgets Rocky won Best Picture, and it deserved it. Um, Real Steel is also where Evangeline Lilly really started her um, film stuff. Okay, uh, I was about to say. Susan, I thought Susan. you were about to say like that's where she started, and I was about to say no, Lost no, no, no. would like to have a word. But yeah, yeah that's where her film um, career started. Like yeah. She was yeah, like she was in Hurt Locker for for a part, and then um, Real Steel I think was the. It was definitely the most successful film she was in. Yeah. Um, and then the Hobbit movies, and then yeah. Ant Man. So you know she she's oh. picking the right movies. So uh, I'm curious uh, yeah. about. Sorry, I was curious about the Academy Awards where Rocky won Best Picture. Yeah. This may be the most stacked Best Picture of all time. Anthony Mackie was also in Real Steel. He was. <laughs> you want to just throw? That. He was. Great. So Rocky won Best Picture in 1977 at the 49th Academy Awards. The movies it was up against. All the President's Men, which was the Watergate movie, yeah. which is incredible, one of the best movies of all time. Network, which is yes, incredible. And it's Taxi still Driver. prophetic today. And oh, Taxi God. Driver. Christ. Like, that is one of the most stacked best pictures I've ever seen. Yeah, that's fucking nuts. And I still think Rocky winning it was the right move. Like, All the President's Men... Network and Taxi Driver have like sort of a longer legacy as standalone films, and Rocky's like kind of gotten muddled with its franchise. But that first Rocky movie, I think, was the best movie out of those four. And also a movie called Bound for Glory that I don't know. It's a biographical Hal Ashby film. So it's, you know, just some movie that was made to get an actor or to get an Oscar. Yeah, um, um, it'll be interesting to see what films last in the next like fifteen years from their Oscar noms and. Listen, I, we were talking about doing an episode where we talk about the best films of the decade. Yeah. And let me tell you, my pick on that did not win the Best Picture Oscar. Cool. We'll, we'll save it. Save yeah, oh, it yeah. I'm not gonna, we're not going to get into it, but... No, I mean, like, don't say what it is either. I know. I'm, I know. I'm not going to, but... Yeah. Didn't fucking win the Best Picture Oscar. I'm still um, <laughs> but no, like, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I hate the whole Rock'em Sock'em Robots It was comparing. such a... It was, like, just such a... Like overly cynical way to completely dismiss it and just they, hand wave you know, it away. And they did it with Pacific Rim too about, yeah. you know, calling it um, a although, Transformers ripoff, which was always annoying. Although but, I feel like there, like in my, my anecdotal experience, at least anybody I saw trying to make that argument kind of got shouted down. Cause like, it was obviously they didn't know what they were talking about because like, anybody with half a brain could look at Pacific Rim and see what they were doing. Like, this is Del Toro, and this is more, like, this is way more Gundam than Transformer. Uh, but, like, Real Steel, I like the designs of the robots, but they weren't doing themselves any favors, because those motherfuckers just look like Rock and Sock and robots. This is true. Uh, um, so, like, I think that I, I can, on some level get it like i can on some level get the comparison if you just happen to see a trailer out of nowhere or like a like a still or a poster but if you take a moment to actually look in like actually look at it with like an open mind yeah no it's it's awesome it's a it's a great sports movie it is yeah. a fantastic boxing I, it's so good i can't watch boxing i hate floyd mayweather Oh yeah, Floyd Mayweather is a garbage, movies. a garbage boxing person. Movies. Boxing like movies most are boxers are garbage people. Manny Pacquiao is a terrible person. Conor McGregor sucks, and Floyd Mayweather is a literal monster who is emotionally and physically abused every woman he's ever been in a relationship with. Like, yes, boxing is garbage. And also, like uh, that's why I like watching professional wrestling because I don't like watching people actually get head injuries. 
<laughs> like people Very say, like, oh, you're watching wrestling. Why don't you watch real fights? Like, because watching people get really like actually fucked up isn't fun to me because I'm not a caveman. Yeah. Like I don't need like I don't I I don't thirst uh, for blood. Also, watching those things don't make you as tough as them, which is yeah. why half of the people who act that way towards wrestling watch boxing or UFC. Yeah. They think so, oh, just because yeah, it's cool real thing. that makes them a badass yeah. equal to them. And that's not true. Yeah, like I, yeah, I don't, I don't like to watch people actually get like the actual shit beat out of. Like I watch. Can't UFC be that fight. one dude from Philadelphia who used a UFC move to stop a robber who still got fucked up yep. up his arm like, and then got I'll free watch... tickets for life to UFC. You can't yeah. be like him. Like, that I'll guy watch... lucked the fuck out, and you know, congrats for doing the right thing. But you can't just automatically be like him just because you watch UFC. I'll watch UFC occasionally. Like if it's, like, I, I can enjoy like the science and the art of a fight. Yeah, but like, it's not something I'm gonna go out on my way for. Cause like, also I don't, the I don't want to watch people get the shit kicked out yeah. of them. Also, save for Conor McGregor, who like I guess doesn't count anymore. The most entertaining fighters in UFC have like the worst win loss records. They're like super fifty fifty. Oh yeah, because like, you have Clay like the these... Carpenter, Guida, and um, Forrest Griffin, and those guys. They have really good runs for a minute, but then they start you know not doing great because they do have a little bit of entertaining flair, but they lose. Um, like their edge very fast because you can't do that forever. Yeah, like you have these like, and you have these like big hoss guys who are like, either I'm gonna get knocked out or I'm gonna knock you out because I'm just gonna come out swinging. Yeah, be, like this thing because they understand you can't have um 25 minute fights every couple of months. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like Real Steel's great. Everybody go watch Real Steel. Like, go give Real Steel another chance. That's a really fun movie. It's amazing how many like fun, emotional, emotional second but fun first movies that Hugh Jackman does. Yeah, like um, Greatest Showman is fantastic and so much fun, and the music is so good. I love that that movie as Have well. Not seen um, it. My sister actually knows half the people that sing in that movie because they're real Broadway people. Yeah. Um, and she's like legit friends with them because she lives in New York and she was in. The photographer, yeah. Um, but she, she like, I can't remember what she does, but she like hung out with the woman who played with, played the bearded lady multiple times, cool. um, like before the movie too and stuff. And I think she got to meet Hugh Jackman. I can't remember, but um, yeah, he, you, I, I like the the string of movies when he's not being Wolverine and stuff that Hugh Jackman has done. Um, I, yes, I mean, Pan wasn't great. Oh, uh, that's like that's, but that's about it. I feel like like I can't did, even call that a movie. But no, no listen, it's a movie did, Hugh Jackman done, but it's not a Hugh Jackman like, movie. But like, let's go back to 2014. He did Days of Future Past. He had a cameo yeah. in Night at the Museum. He had a cameo in Chappie. He was in Eddie the Eagle. He was in The Greatest Showman, and he had a cameo in Deadpool Two. That's all he's done. He's done X Men and Pan and The Greatest Showman, <laughs> like and Eddie the Eagle, and real like that's all he's done in the last four years. That's true. Um, and, but but and then in 2013 God, and then in 2013 he did Prisoners, which was great, the Denis Villeneuve yes. breakout movie. Yes. But he also did Movie 43. Oof. Remember Movie 43? Uh, I mean, yes, but I didn't watch it. I want to know what blackmail that di- those directors had on every single person in that movie. 
Like, yeah. they had dirt on everybody in that movie because Jesus I think, Christ. I think everyone in that movie was lied to on what that movie was supposed to be. I swear to God. Because there's a lot of good people in that movie. Like, it's, like, like not just good it. actors, just good people. Yeah, I don't um, get it. Yeah, and I think that they were fucking lied to. They had to have been. Because they filmed it over um, the course of years. And yeah. if you look at it, it has like... Like it feels like maybe it got fucked up in editing or something, because it had a, it, it had a ton of writers and a ton of directors. Like it had a bunch of like Bob Odenkirk wrote and direct pieces, James Gunn wrote and direct pieces, Elizabeth Banks wrote and direct pieces. Like they had talented people come in and work on it. I just feel like it got completely ruined in editing. Like I want to know, I want a documentary about the production of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. So now we are in 2012. And we'll start, um, you want to talk about, like, indie um, sci-fi films and stuff. We're going to go with Chronicle real quick. Oh, um, yeah, I love Chronicle. I, I like parts of it. Um, I will always be weird about, so films about kids, I'm okay with. Um, I don't hate. I, I'm very weird about them. I, I either, like, you know, don't get it and it doesn't interest me at all. Or it could be something like The Goonies, which I could watch a billion times. Um, it's very up and down. It just depends on dynamic and how the kids are treated in the film and how they react to things, I think, for the most part. Films about teenagers almost never interest me at all. Like, no matter what they are, if they're super wholesome or, like, you know, they're supposed to be very meaningful, like something like maybe Perks of Being a Wallflower or something, or if they're supposed to be, like, very dense, introspective, and kind of, like... uh cynical metaphor in a way like i feel like chronicle was because i wasn't big on chronicle i didn't like how the guys acted i liked uh, like some of the ideas and you know the found footage thing this like i think we've talked about this once or twice before this is probably the best use of the found footage concept yeah it's, um, it's up there because it's so unique it's both its story and stuff um and how just the footage is used ultimately but i remember i don't know what what strikes me the most of this movie that I'll remember the most is the party scene where he uses his powers to do tricks to be popular, and then he um, tries to hook up with the super hot, cute girl, whatever, and then he like throws up on her, and that that is basically his like triggering descent into him being evil and stuff. Like that that is that is the moment where you can snap your fingers and he starts to really turn into the super villain or whatever. And yeah, to me, and I. I don't want to say like like it's cliche like in a bad way or you know predictable like that makes it a bad movie or anything but i just remember when that started happening i was like man this is not the way like this should go and it just and i think in hindsight depending on how much you want to like expose uh max landis and his writing style i think maybe like that he's a bad writer who yeah who yeah, gets who, to coast on his dad's name and white privilege. Which I still don't understand how you can coast on that guy's name. He only made like he, two not- notable films that also, people kind he of killed forget people. exist. Also, he um, killed people. I keep forgetting that. Yeah, it's weird. I, um, but, but the movies John Landis made are incredible. It, again, like, they're, they're fine, but, yeah. but I feel like you forget those movies exist until you bring them up and then you go, yeah, what a great movie. No, um, I'll never forget the Blues Brothers exists. Well, that's because it's the Blues Brothers. Yeah, though, more and so you than know what? The you know what? The movie. Blues Brothers wouldn't exist without John Landis. <laughs> that's fine. 
Um, um, and American Pear Werewolf in London. And Trading Places. And Coming to America. Oh, God. He... Wow. Okay. I didn't realize he did. He directed those and two Animal movies. House. I I did not realize he directed Trading Places and yeah. um to America. Oh. Yeah. Like okay. Yeah. I I will retract my statement because I genuinely didn't realize. I'm bothered now that a that a white guy made those two movies. Specifically, were, John Landis. They but, were written by. I think they were mostly written by Eddie Murphy. So Eddie Murphy probably had a very. A strong hand in the making of those movies as well. Yeah. Um, if anything, I would say he probably picked uh, John Landis. Yeah. Um, even if he didn't write them, like they, you know, they knew what they were doing with John Landis. He's very good. Like he, he did, he did Animal House and the Blues Brothers. Like he could, he could. If anybody could make a movie like Trading Places and Coming to America, it's John Landis. Like in the eighties, no one understood directing comedy like John Landis did. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. Until he killed people. Uh, right. night with Twilight Zone the movie. Yeah, I still yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe like, that's but why we should have realized like, what Max Landis the would stuff become. that you're saying about Chronicle. Uh, yep. The reason you feel that way is uh, paradoxical, but very interesting. Okay, it's because you remember what it's like to be a teenager because yep. you're young enough and teenagers suck. But also, you're old enough that you've forgotten what it's like to be a teenager. And huh. so you don't understand the decisions they were making because you've forgotten what it's like to be a teenager, but you remember enough about the shitty parts of being a teenager that you don't want to watch teenagers. Like, that too. this teenage but kid I was who like just got that way when I watched this like, movie in 2012. But like, but yeah, but you also, you were all, listen, I know you well enough, and I know me well enough, and you're enough like me. You were <laughs> probably a shitty teenager who thought he was smarter than everybody else. Because I was. For the most part. And so <laughs> you looked at these people and you were like, you viewed them as the type of people that you didn't want to be. Yes. And and you probably like look down your nose at them because I would have done the exact same thing. I'm not being a hypocrite here. Uh, right. If I was fucking 16 or however old you were when this movie came out. 19. Um, and so like, yeah, he goes to a party and he is about to go with this girl and like he fucks it all up. And that's what ticks him over into being a superhero, which, of course, it's the most teenager thing in the world. Of course, that's what make, would make a teenager be a superhero or super villain. Yeah, like, yes, I, that's what would make a teenager snap. Of course it is, because they're teenager. Because that's the most important thing in the world when you're that age. So of yeah. course that's what that's what like pushes you over the edge. Like that makes total sense. That is somebody who no, understands like, being a teenager. Like yeah, I, I I'll I'll agree that much. But I just I don't like watching that result. I wanted. I, I mean, which is funny. So, so what you're film, saying is like you want to talk about watch, like realism. Yeah, and, you don't want to you know, watch it. Being you don't want to watch. You don't want to watch a movie about teenagers that are written like actual teenagers. You want yeah. to watch a movie about teenagers that are written like precocious adults. Yeah, and and which again, to me like, is this kind is a of obnoxious. supernatural science fiction film. You think there'd be just a little more? Um, I don't know. What's the word? I want to say thought, but that's not the right word. Um, co- just more contemplative. Like I'm not saying he can't go evil because of that reason, but it just felt. Like it, it, it went from it discovering felt like a teenager. It felt like a reason that a teenager yeah, would do something super and like super I don't, petty. And, and, and I'm and I, again yeah, not saying teenagers. that. Like, yes, I know. That's I'm what not teenagers saying, are. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying. I just didn't like it for that reason. But that's not saying it's a bad film. Yeah, like that's the thing. It's like, but I, I would rather watch a movie about teenagers that are written like actual people than. You know, than an adult. Like, okay. it's like one of my least favorite things is adults writing kids. Yeah, it just as adults. 
This is like, what okay, so this is what uh, um it reminds me of actually in in parts. I rather would watch the um recently made uh Power Rangers movie than this. Okay, like I mean, I think they're fairly different, but you know, I could see right, a, but, a but bit of as DNA. As far as like you know, like um teenagers who um aren't popular at all and they discover like a fallen yeah. superpower and stuff um but that movie they, but the, the new power rangers movie is made for people like chronicle wasn't made for people that age chronicle yeah. was was a more adult tinged movie whereas the power ranger movie was made for people specifically that age which is why those characters weren't written like actual people that age because <laughs> kids that age don't want to see themselves on screen because kids that age are shitty uh, yeah, and so I'm yeah, like, so, so yeah, again, I think that, you have teenagers that ultimately like, is is where my moral. Not, you have teenagers not written like people that have ever actually existed. Yeah, I think ultimately that's just my moral dilemma. Is I would rather watch something written like the. the I mean, I wouldn't call uh, it a moral dilemma. Movie. I would call it, you know, you just don't like kids written like actual people. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like I. I, would I can't see tell that. if that was a punch or not. Right? Like, I know you didn't do it deliberately, but at the I same would time, rather, it's like... I would rather watch that than, like, I don't know, like, Juno. Like, Juno is a good movie. Juno yeah. is a great movie that I had a lot of time with, like, a lot of fun with. But, like, no one has ever spoken like the teenagers in Juno. Those, those <laughs> people in Juno are written like 40-year-olds who think they're really fucking clever. And yeah, I believe her name. What is it? It's uh, Diablo, Diablo Cody. Cody. Diablo Cody. Yes. Um, <laughs> Only like, someone named great, like that. Of that's course. a great movie. Yeah, but I don't want to see teenagers written like that because it's because it's just it just feels so fucking treacly. Like it's just so precious and full of itself. I don't know how it's like, I. Oh, these teenagers are, are talking like adults do. These kids are not talking like kids. No, fuck that. If you want to show me that you're a good writer, write people that age like they actually like go like like they actually do like that's this is the a good party little, game like that's the one little piece of credit i'll give max landis that yeah. he will act like that he in this one example wrote people of that age who would actually act like that age yeah like, and then he started over exaggerating it and yes, making and it like the worst got, stereotypes yeah. oh yeah then it all went downhill but like he actually nailed that and that's like and it, i don't even think it's a hard thing to nail i just think people don't care like yeah. people who write movies people who write about movies People who make movies don't give a shit about you if you're under 21 years old. And it's really cool to see people who do care. Like, I want to see more movies like that. I want to see more movies made for people that age, like, specifically. Like, eighth grade. Like, eighth grade, the movie that just came out. That's the perfect example. Because that movie is written like people, like, those people talk like kids that age. They're going through issues of kids that age. Like, that is what I want, man. Because kids that age deserve have movies made for them that speak to them. And aren't, don't speak to them through a filter of 40-year-old men. Yeah. Um, I think this would be a good party game of I would rather watch this than the, than oh this as like a comparative thing. Um, but real quick, talking about Juno, for some reason where my brain goes is like I would rather watch Little Miss Sunshine than Juno. And I don't know I if mean, they're really I, comparable at all. Honestly, um, here's the thing. That's just, here's a weird thing. Yeah. Before I said Juno, the first thing that popped in my mind was Little Miss Sunshine. And I was like, no, that's not a very good example. Because okay. Abigail Reslin's a little precious in that movie, but she's not super over the top. But right. Juno was the one that's real. Like, they yeah. are shot similarly, and they are very much cut through in the same cloth. But I don't think in that specific regard of, like, 
writing teenagers in a dumb, in the, like, unrealistic you, way. You, that's youth not emotion more so, not just teenagers, because she's yeah. a, she's a child, but also yeah, like kid. the kid, the yeah. the boy who like he's gonna be silent until he can be a pilot and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and also in in a way that is my favorite Steve Carell. I mean, he's really good because. Because he kind of is like an old man trying to be a teenager again because yeah, he realized again, he wasted his last 25 years of his life. Yeah, but again, that's great. still a movie with a bunch of young people in it written like precocious yeah. 40-year-olds. Yeah. Like, give me movies that speak to people that age that actually speak to them. Those kids, like, more than ever. Like, don't you think, like, remember how, you know, remember how much middle school sucked? Yeah. Don't absolutely. those kids need movies made for them that speak to them more than literally anybody else in the entire world? Yeah, like, dude, they're called Diary of a Wimpy Kid. <laughs> yeah, like you, like they need movies like that because they are still like that is the roughest time to be a kid. You're figuring out so much, so much is changing around you, so much is changing in you. You don't and, realize school's a prison yet, and that's when people forget about you. That's when people like punch you off a cliff because middle school sucks. Punch you and off shout a cliff. out and shout out to out of nowhere, Bo fucking Burnham out of nowhere <laughs> making the best movie for kids that age ever made because he understands it. That makes so much sense. I didn't know that he did eighth grade. Um, Yeah. He wrote and directed it because he's, because his kids are like only a few years younger than that. Right. Oh, Oh, he's 28. I'm stupid. I just confused him and Bill Burr because they're BB. Jesus God. No, Bill Burr is the last person. Bill Burr would just like make a movie where he had some like, (laughs) Shitty bald white eighth grader complain about Colin Kaepernick taking the knee before a football game. Like, like I, God. I love Bur. There, there's a small like fan edit um YouTube thing called Bur- Bo Burnham explains anime because on his podcast when he suddenly has watched an anime off at Netflix, mm-hmm. he likes anime but he doesn't get it, and it's amazing to just hear him explain why he likes this thing for the exact opposite reasons all the weebs like it it's hilarious that's incredible and i imagine that probably pisses off a lot of people who are super up their own ass and that makes me happy (laughs) it absolutely absolutely but yeah no bo burnham explaining any anime and why he likes them from like the most white old school american aspect is um it's just brilliant but i totally just mix those two guys together literally because they're both comedians with bb but wait that's literally what i'm talking about anime the person explaining anime are you talking bill burr bill burr Burr. fucking shit i did it again so bill burr explains anime which is something i never want to listen to because bill burr is a fucking sucks because bill Bill burr sucks he's this like doesn't want to admit it but like he's just like a pseudo shitty conservative white guy like he's just yeah i'm in bill burr that whole time bill burr is just the type of guy who you he's joe rogan like he's the type of guy uh, that you don't want to fuck around with because he's just some shitty fucking white dude who just wants to enforce the status quo and doesn't want anything to change because if things change then he might lose then he might not make 50 billion dollars next year he might make 40 billion dollars next year uh, he's the type of guy who complains that Colin Kaepernick kneels for a football game because why should you care that innocent black people are getting murdered by the police? Just shut up and play a game. Like he's that kind of guy. He's fucking right. Joe Rogan. He's the kind of guy who would probably have Alex Jones on his fucking podcast. Fuck All those right. guys. So but, yeah, we'll we'll just skip because I, I butchered that segment. But Bo Burnham is the Bo one Burnham. who made eighth grade. Burnham makes uh, sense. Which is because Bo Burnham is a child. Well, like that's the thing. Like I think Bo Burnham. Like I think to make a movie like that. You have to be more mature than anybody. Like Possibly. you have to have the mind. Like you, it's not necessarily having the mind of a child. It's having the mind of a very, very, very empathetic adult. 
because you I have to be that. an adult to understand that stuff uh to be able to like articulate it in a way that gets it across to both adults and kids but you have to be empathetic in a way that you can like under like you can look at those experiences and understand them and translate them and one of the things that bummed me out is like the movie's rated r because like there's a, like bad language in it and he was like listen that sucks but like eighth graders like being in eighth grade is rated r like that's what yep. it's really like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And so uh, for a few weeks, like the first few releases, weeks of the release of the movie, um, he had no rating shows. Like they had shows all over the country where it was like not, there was no rating on it. So anybody could come and see it regardless of where you had a parent. Like he got the theaters to agree. Like doesn't matter how old you are. Like doesn't matter if you're with your parent, anybody can come see this movie, especially if you're in middle school, because you need to see this movie. Because this movie gets it. Like, everybody see it. Like, we're, we're just about out of time. We're probably going to call it here. But, like, I know we, we started this, like, this is us talking <laughs> about sci-fi. But I want to end it on this very emotional plea. Everybody go see 8th Grade, this movie about, like, this super... God. Like, listen. We ending this on Chronicle Wide. Listen, why? you won't like it, Jesse, because it's fucking, you know, it's, it's, you know, emotional and real and uh, uh, affecting... And uh, I, I do enough of that in my brain. I can't handle other people showing it to me. No, it's because <laughs> it's the same. It's the same thing with boyhood. You don't like quote unquote slice of life movies. Uh, I don't know because you because <laughs> we've already established that you hate children and you hate it when they're <laughs> actually written like real children. You don't want to watch movies with movies. We don't want to watch movies with kids written like kids. You want to watch movies with kids written like 40 year olds. <laughs> uh <laughs> But yeah, like, honestly, I I, th- I think even you would like it. Like I, I I've seen it. I, I got to see it near here. It is so good. Uh, God, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Like I never thought I'd see a movie like that. Just yeah. that just gets it in such a great way. Uh, but thank you very much, Jesse, for yes. Okay, all right, we're not gonna end on Chronicle. What's your, what's the one you really want to end on? We have one left. We have like four oh, minutes. Man. What do you want to like just blast on for a few minutes before we go? Looper. I guess because that's oh, my favorite yes. of like the decade, and Rain Johnson is God, one of the best sci-fi he's directors. So good. Um, quick drop. Uh, this was uh, announced like yesterday. Um, the Last Jedi is the highest-selling Blu-ray of the year. So suck it, stupid heads. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. It's, then, oh yeah, look, it's still it's making money. Ha! Honestly. Very surprised it's still so like at the end of the year, Black Panther will have sold more copies than the last Jedi. Um well currently it, it uh outsold Black Panther by like seven million at the moment. Um, it was also so we'll out like two months before Black Panther. I know, I get it. I get it. Like, and also I was um, working like electronics retail when both those movies came out. And this is a very anecdotal experience for me. Black Panther's gonna end up selling more than like that, but we couldn't keep Black Panther on the shelves. Uh, uh, we had plenty of copies. We had plenty. Sure. We had plenty copies of uh, the Force Awakens or the Last Jedi left. Black Panther, you could not keep. Uh, I, I think at the end of the year, Black Panther will end up edging it out. Not like it's a competition. They're both incredible movies. But those would be the top two because Disney, oh, Disney reigns supreme. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, Looper uh, is so good. I love everything about Looper. Um, I don't that... know if I love uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Bruce Willis makeup. It, it it's it's hard to it's like, very distracting channel it's yeah. weird um but i can deal with it just uh, yeah because... it, it doesn't take me out of it like it doesn't ruin yeah. the movie for me it's just weird 
It's one of the best time travel movies. I don't give a crap about pri uh, Primer. Primer is confusing and doesn't work. And the crazy, like, grad student indie hipster tryhards who love Primer and think Looper is just ludicrous bullshit need to calm down. I mean, I think all time travel is ludicrous bullshit. I think Primer is really interesting because it approaches it in a type of way. Like, they approach it in a, for lack of a better word, a very realistic way. Like... Here's how time travel would actually work, which yeah, is incredibly it, it, confusing a... and ridiculous. And I don't think these are two movies that you can compare. But yes, they are two, both two sci-fi movies, or they're both two time travel movies. But like, one approaches it from, we're going to try and make it as realistic as possible. And one approaches it from, I'm trying to make an entertaining wide release Hollywood movie. I, I still just haven't let go of the fact that I once saw somebody like just shit all over Looper and be like, if you want a good time travel movie, you should watch Primer. I'm like, like just... Like, who gives a shit what some fucking navel gazer smelling their own farts says on the internet? Who cares? <laughs> don't hold don't hold um, that against Primer. Primer's a totally fine, no, well-made movie for yeah, what it I, is. Yeah, I watched it, and I just... Like, it's, it's really confusing. confusing. It's hard to watch, yeah. but, like, it's well-made. Like, don't let what one fuck... Like, if that's the case, you should, you should really hate The Last Jedi. Because, boy, <laughs> let me tell you, like, like don't let dipshits on the internet ruin movies for you because you know what happens when that when that when they do that it means they won don't let them win but they lost because it's their movie i hate haha -ha. no no yeah. i'm no, kidding don't let them win. but no yeah, yeah like yes looper is one of those movies that like yes if you really care about that stuff you're not gonna enjoy looper because one of my favorite parts in looper is when they're at the diner and like bruce willis immediately shuts it yes. down he's like listen we could sit here all day drawing diagrams on napkins but we're not going to and it's me to like thank you who cares this is a movie it's entertainment let's go yeah um, I, th and that's what I enjoy. I think that's why it makes it one of the better, uh, time travel movies. Cause the best time travel movies are the ones that don't sit there and over explain and try to show you what like, it is. Cause one of the best time travel movies of all time is back to the future. And yep. they don't really explain shit to you. Cause you, you don't just have accept to that. You, like, yeah. Time travel movies should just be get in the car. Let's go. Like, yeah. Don't ask questions. Get in the car. And, we're going to the future. And, and Looper is great about that. And it, and it plays by its own rules in that idea. I think it is one of the more um, genre-defining films yeah. um, in uh, time travel in general, but also sci-fi. It, it is one of the best sci-fi films to me of this decade, with a, yeah. without a doubt, because it only plays what it needs to, and it um, and it just changes certain things without really um, harping on them. Uh, without uh, acting like because the rules are different means that you know you have to know everything about it or else you can't handle it. And Ryan Johnson did it again with Last Jedi. Those two movies are very like you can feel that they're absolutely from the same mind. Yeah, they're very me. subversive. Um, yes, they're, they're subversive. But beyond that, um, something I try to explain to a friend of mine is. One of the big takeaways, you know, not not one of the major ones, and we'll talk more, you know, another, another day about Last Jedi. But one of the big takeaways of Last Jedi is, you know, more flat out what Kylo Ren says, like let the past die. Um, but it, it's mostly like, you know, you you have to make your own future, and you got to quit worrying about what the past going to do to you. You can't let the past control how you move forward. And Looper is very much like that, almost literally, because yep. of the time travel. Exactly. Um. It's it's not necessarily, you know, fuck the past, the future needs to be something different, but it's like you can't let what's happened before just totally 
make you not do anything. This is not manifest destiny. This yeah. can't is always will be what something we can is always gonna... change. Like, yeah, you can always change what's going to happen. Yeah, and, like, especially and... if you know what's going to happen. Yes, like, if you and... know what's going to happen, you can easily change it. Yeah, and and you know more, especially literal with Looper, and it's an original idea. But you can also do that with Last Jedi because it's a Star Wars movie, and you're supposed to know what is going to happen, and that's why people were so mad because they didn't. Yeah, um, and that's why I love you know both those movies so much. Yeah, uh, like it's it's yeah, it's I I love a good subversion. Yeah, and um, yeah, Lo- Lo- Looper is the best. Uh, I, I I also I saw, wanted just to, saw, just to like name drop. I wanted also wanted to talk about John Carter, Men in Black Three, Prometheus, Dread, and Cloud Atlas. But I guess yeah, we'll, we can get to those. God, yeah. fucking John Carter, man. <sighs> John, John Carter failing is why Disney bought um, Star Wars. Well, there's a lot of reasons why Disney bought Star Wars and why Disney bought Marvel. It's because Disney could never get the young male demographic. Like Disney tried to get young men for forever because they had young women with like prison, like with like uh, old, you know, the Disney classics and princesses and stuff like that, and they could never get the young male demographic. And they gave Andrew Stanton John Carter because Andrew Stanton was the guy from Pixar. He did Wally. He had a huge success, so he'd earned his bones. And they let him do John Carter, and he's this huge John Carter fan. And he had complete creative control, and it was the perfect example of why you don't always give someone 100% creative control in a movie. Because he thought everybody loved John Carter as much as him. And so he thought everybody's going to come see this movie because everybody loves John Carter. But they also gave them like $80 million over budget. Yeah, they also gave them way too much money because they gave them complete control. And that's why it was called John, just got John Carter. What what is that? Like, yeah. What what, what does that mean? It had been called of Mars. I've always felt that way. Do you, have you ever heard the dumb bullshit thing? Like, it's just total bullshit. Yeah, about the Mars needs moms thing. And that's why they changed the name because Mars needs moms flopped, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It's really bad. Um, But yeah, he was like, we don't need to call John Carter Mars. John Carter's all it needs to be called because everybody knows John Carter. Like, that is the, that is hubris personified. That is pretty bad. Has yeah. that guy done anything since? He went back to Pixar. Um, I think he he's done work. Uh, he directed Finding Dory. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like he's you know he's he's just back at Pixar. You know he he produced Inside Out, Monsters University, and all that. Directed Finding Dory. He That's wrote. Yeah. He like co-wrote Toy Story Four. Oh boy. Do you know who also wrote? Do you know who like? Oh, I guess she's not on it anymore. The original draft of Toy Story Four is uh script was rashida jones huh yeah crazy yeah because uh <coughs> and will mccormick uh who is another uh who's her writing partner uh but i think they ended up leaving or something like that uh but yeah so that was good that was fun uh i, I like talking about uh, sci-fi flicks and the things that come off of them because they're so unique unto themselves like yeah uh, I, i've you always can, loved you, sci-fi the most because like i enjoy sci-fi as sci-fi but i also like Sci-fi is always an interesting thing because, like, sci-fi is where we we put our anxieties into sci-fi. Yes. And we kind of, like, we put our, where we think we're going to go into sci-fi and where we want to go into sci-fi. Like, you know. Star, Star Trek is the ultimate measuring stick for all of that as well. Yeah. Also, um, like, on, honestly, Blade Runner. Like, Blade Runner changed a lot of sci-fi because, like. Absolutely. The, like, techno dystopian, like, like techno corporate dystopian future really became the norm after blade runner blade runner set that course oh yeah uh, 
and um, Philip K. Dick in general, I've always yeah. liked his work, and I've been listening to um, a bunch of his uh, audiobooks um, yeah. currently through Ubic, and then going to do um, some other stuff. Did you but know? Yeah, it's. Did you know there's yeah. only ever been one Philip K. Dick novel adapted onto screen? All the other ones have been short stories. Yeah, that makes. The only Philip K. Dick novel adapted onto screen is The Man in the High Council. That's on Amazon and isn't very good. High Castle, but yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah, all the other ones are just short stories. I've always think that's interesting. He's so prolific, but it's only Um, like his short stories that get adapted. Dream of Electric Street was was a novel. No, it was a short story. I think it was in a... uh, I think that was a part of a larger thing. I could be wrong. It's a 210-page book. Uh, And Scanner Darkly was also a book. Well, fuck me then. I don't know. I read that somewhere. What the fuck do you want from me? I'm sick. <laughs> just telling you, man. Let me have this. Just let me have this, Jesse. No, if you don't fine. make me, don't make me start playing Flow Rider. All right, bye. <laughs> don't do that. That's not cool. Not, <laughs> yeah, I am not a. I am never, not a Pavlov's dog. That's that never just, leaving like, my soundboard. Edition. That's never leaving my soundboard. God damn it. Um. So uh, once again, I am Adam. He is Jesse. You can find us at Consumerism on Twitter with a one for the I. Uh, you can find me at NADavis47 on Twitter. You can find Jesse walking around in the woods somewhere because he doesn't know how to computers. Uh, you, <laughs> we will be out every Sunday. We have our other show, Pastamania. That is out every Wednesday. Every other Wednesday, we'll have a new episode coming up this Wednesday of Victory Road 2008 TNA. What a weird, weird show. It's a weird time in wrestling, 2008 TNA. Uh, we're just about uh, halfway done. Right. We're at the halfway point with this show. We'll be just over the halfway point of the the Samoa Joe title reign. I'm I'm excited to where we're going next. Uh, we will see you guys yep. next week with a more a more focused, but also hopefully a, a little bit more of a, a loosey goosey episode uh, when we're both back at a hundred percent. Thank you very much, Jesse. Anything? Any last words you have? No, I think I'm good. All right. All right. I'll see you guys next week. See you later. God, God, fire truck. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up at 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. <laughs>